Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This is a special episode that is not one of our regular weekly episodes. I recently had the chance to have a conversation with Frank Olito, who is the author of several articles on Insider.com talking about his experience with van life and what happened to him when he rented a very nicely built out sprinter van and took it on a trip. There's a lot of valuable stuff here for people in the movement and for people just thinking about getting a van. So let's spend half an hour talking with Frank and learn a few things. Hello, is this Frank? It is. How are you, Jeff? Very good. How are you? Thanks for doing this. Yeah, no problem. First off, uh, Frank, thank you very much and, and welcome to the show. I really appreciate you reaching out to me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So, Frank, tell me a little bit about yourself. I know you're a writer for Insider.com, and you are in New York, right? Yes. So, uh, I'm a reporter at Insider. I've been working here for about two and a half years now, and I mainly cover alternative living and alternative travel. So, that mainly means I cover the larger tiny house movement. And I say that usually includes, you know, people living in camper vans, RVs, schoolies, yurts basically any form of tiny yeah. house you can imagine. Um, and right. yeah, I live in Brooklyn, New York. And I always joke that I live in a tiny house too, because I live in a very small <laughs> studio apartment. I know that some people... everybody does. Yeah, I know some people say that's not a tiny house, but you know, it's a very small <laughs> space and I'm living pretty minimally. So it's kind of the same value. It, it is. And you know what's funny is I have to point that out is that people think, oh, I'm going to be all eco and I'm going to move into a van. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, no, actually, if you want to be super eco, you want to live in a little tiny apartment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is the most eco-friendly way we have invented to live as mm. at present. <laughs> so, yes. So, yeah, you do, you totally count as, as one of the tiny house people as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Thank you so much. You answered my second question here mm-hmm. with your first, is that you came to the van life thing from the tiny house thing, which makes yeah. total sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I started covering the tiny house movement, and that started about two years ago. I stayed in a tiny house community down in Florida. There was like 20 or 30 tiny house owners living together in this small park. I wrote a bunch of stories about my experience there, and they kind of became really popular online. People loved them, and that started kind of this whole tiny house beat at Insider. And as I started covering the larger movement from every angle, I noticed that, you know, people living in converted vans were also calling themselves tiny house owners. And I realized that's an untapped area for Insider that, you know, people weren't talking about enough. I know on social media, it's been huge for many years, but for our publication, it wasn't yeah, that's how I found van life. It was through the larger tiny house movement, and I just chatted with countless van life that trying to understand what that whole lifestyle is really like. Yeah, and there definitely is overlap there, especially when you get into schoolies or mm-hmm. school buses. Yeah. Some of those have been converted to be stationary tiny houses, and others are still mobile, and thus they are essentially big vans. So there, mm-hmm. there's definitely a lot of overlap here and they're both significantly part of the community of people who want to live minimally and mobily and not put down roots so i totally see that connection that makes perfect sense yeah 
definitely. But that means that you came at this from the point of view of somebody looking in on this. You've investigated this, but it's not your personal experience. Exactly, yeah. So I just stayed in a tiny house a few times during my, while covering this movement. So I stayed in, I think, two or three tiny houses now. And then also with this camper van, if you want to count that as also another tiny house, that'd be another one I did as well. Did you enjoy staying in the tiny houses? Yeah, so actually a big part of this also is it's not just that it's very popular for our readers at Insider. It's also a passion of mine as well because from that first time of staying in a tiny house down in Florida, I fell in love with the movement itself. I always figured, you know, some sometime down the road I could see myself living in a tiny house of sorts. I love the idea of living minimally and I love the idea of also being able to take your home anywhere you want to go. Um, I love the idea of not being tied down anywhere. Personally, I also love the movement for myself. So it's not just me telling people's stories. It's also me being interested in this lifestyle and learning more about it for myself and also informing the readers as well. I think that's a very important point that's going to come into Mm -hmm. play after we get through this next part here, which is you decided to rent a van. (laughs) Yes. And then things happened. Tell us that story briefly. <laughs> yeah. So as I was saying, so yeah, I also fell in love with van life. You know, every every time I spoke to a van lifer, I just fell more and more in love with the movement itself. Um, it got to the point where every time I was speaking to a van lifer or interviewing a van lifer, I got off the phone and was like, this is it. I'm quitting my job. I'm buying a van. <laughs> I'm done. Um, nice. So there was definitely that personal side of it. It was like, oh, is this something I really want to do down the road? Should I start planning for this? So let me rent a van and figure out if it's really for me, for my work. It was, you know, I was covering this movement from every angle I possibly could, but eventually you hit a wall, you know, you can only cover it so much without experiencing it yourself. So those two motivations kind of blended together. And that's why I decided to rent a camper van for a weekend. So I rented a very expensive sprinter and I rented it through Outdoorsy, which is an RV rental site. Yes. Um, and I took a quick road trip down to Philadelphia, just outside of Philadelphia. And, you know, during that trip, <laughs> everything seemed to go wrong. Everything that could have <laughs> did, you know, the van lost electricity, the heater in the van broke. And this was in the winter. Yes, it was in January. So it was basically just sleeping yeah. outside in the freezing cold for three nights. It was a very eye-opening experience. There was a lot of things that surprised me about man life, things that I didn't even take into consideration before I started. And yeah, I think it's also important to note that, you know, when I rented this van, I knew a bit more about man life than the average person because I've been covering it for a while. Mm-hmm. Yet there were still things that really shocked me about the reality of van life. So when you compare that to a normal person that probably hasn't devoted their career to covering van life, I imagine for a normal person, they're trying van life for the first time could be even more surprising to someone. That's why I have a podcast. I mean, yeah. I mean that's kind of it. Moving into a tiny house, I imagine you mm-hmm. found things to be a little odd. You know, you've, things move okay. differently and you have to use space differently. But when you turn on the heat, it works. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yet, yet in a van, you kind of have to know how to be mm-hmm. an HVAC technician, a plumber, an electrician. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was the side that really surprised me. Because, you know, I understood there was a certain amount of upkeep 
to a van. I understood you have to dump your black water. I understood that you have to find clean water. I understood you have to conserve your water. I didn't understand that vans weren't built to be livable as livable as a tiny house or just a traditional home. They require a lot of knowledge to keep these vans livable full time. And I just did not fully grasp that. And yeah, I think that's where I ran into a lot of issues. Yeah, it, they're much more complex, um, mm-hmm. and you don't see that complexity on Instagram. You you see the toes dangling out the back of the van over the nice sunset or whatever. You don't see that that person spent the first half of their day under their van rehooking up plumbing that came undone. Uh, exactly. And it, I, it's it's just because they move and they move <laughs> to different climates, and they're much more complex, but they're also much more flexible. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a pro and a con, but. What I want to talk about is what happened to you after you posted your honest experience with living in this van. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So when I posted my first story, there was a few stories. I did some follow-ups with it as well. People were so angry at me about these stories. I got so much hate mail sent to my email that really, it just, it quite honestly shocked me. You know, it was people both within the movement and also people outside of the movement that seemed to have no stakes in the game, but they were still very angry that I didn't know how to fix the van myself, that I didn't understand how to fix the problems I was facing, even though this was my first time ever stepping inside of a camper van myself in person. You know, I mentioned in the article that there was a very short tutorial. The owner gave me a very short yeah. tutorial of how everything works in the van, and they expected that should have been enough for me to understand how to handle every problem that arises. But, you know, my argument to them is that this lifestyle has a major learning curve. Yes, um, You know, there are people who are going to get into this that have a really awful time in the beginning. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to be confused. They're going to mess up. They're going to get lost or break down. Some of these people will get past that phase and learn to master and love van life. And then others will probably abandon van life and completely realize it's not for them. Yes. So people were just so angry at me. But I think people need to give these people who struggle in the beginning and struggle with this learning curve a chance. Give them a chance to get acclimated and get past this awful beginning stage. Yeah. I feel like if you're going to criticize people for not instantly loving or understanding every aspect of van life right in the beginning, you know, you're going to get a very exclusive movement that doesn't welcome everybody. And I don't think that's what van life wants to be or what it will be. One thing I've learned, sadly, in the many groups that I've been involved with in my 54 years on this planet is that people are people everywhere and just some of them are jerks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, now I have to ask you, though, do you write your own headlines for these articles? It's interesting. The The headline has changed over time, and I don't know if that's a normal thing, but the one headline I see is, I spent a weekend in a camper van and hated it. Mm-hmm. But then if you click through on that, it turns into, I tried living in a luxury camper van for a weekend during the winter, and I'll never do it again. Interesting. I have not noticed that. I can definitely look into that, yeah. I, you know, I don't know if the editors are messing with your headlines or what, but I, I do wonder how much the headline generated the response rather than the content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think I think this goes into the fact that, you know, I wrote that story immediately coming back from the trip. So I was having yeah. very strong reactions to just a really awful weekend, a really awful trip. Now that we're a month and a half away from that trip, my feelings aren't as strongly. You know, I would say when I first returned, I would say, yes, I did hate it. I hated trying van life. I hated that experience I had. But now I would say, oh, stepping back. And having this time to reflect, I realized, oh, I didn't exactly hate it. I just struggled 
with that learning curve, you know? And I feel like Mm -hmm. if I had more time to spend in that van and if I decided to do it for maybe a month or a few months, that I would get past those difficulties that I experienced. And even I would learn how to deal with those difficulties better, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I think that headline headline represents what I was feeling immediately after my trip. Um, And now I think I hated it is not a complete accurate representation of how I feel about the trip (laughs) now. What's interesting is that that's true for so many things. Mm-hmm. The first time you pick up a violin, you hate it. Yeah. And then you have to practice and practice and you hate it. The first time, you, for me, skiing is a, is a good example of this. Mm-hmm. The first three times I went skiing, I thought it was the stupidest, most painful, uncomfortable thing I'd ever <laughs> done. And then the fourth time I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And just to state this so, so I can state this so everybody hears this, I think you were put in an unfair situation mm-hmm. For folks listening who've listened to the podcast for a while, this van that Frank rented, this was a 100K, fully built out, had a bathroom in it, uh, had all the fancy stuff in it, meaning super complex, meaning systems that relied on each other, and that means easy to break. And he was given kind of just the run-through very quickly on how to operate it, whereas you really really needed basically a three-hour intense tutorial on everything and then a phone number you could call. (laughs) Yeah. This, this reminds me of a moment when I was in the van. So the outlet started, just did not work at all. Um, so that was mm-hmm. separate from the electricity because I don't, I don't know. So just the outlets were not working at one point. Yeah. So I couldn't charge anything. And I had to call the owner to help walk me through a process to try and get the outlet to work. And he was like, just lift up the bench in the back of the van. So I lifted up the bench yeah. and I just stared in horror at what was <laughs> under there. It was just, yeah. it was stacks and stacks of just machinery and wires connecting to each other. And it was so overwhelming. And he was trying to walk me through yeah. like buttons to press. And it was just this. It's the blue one. <laughs> <laughs> that's basically what it felt like. I was just like, I don't know what yeah. you're saying to me. I will just follow your directions. And it was just this light bulb moment where I was like, oh, if I was doing this lifestyle on my own and I was doing this full time, I would have to understand everything that's under this bench. I would have to understand what every wire is, every piece of machinery is. I would have to understand all of this. And I really wouldn't have this person to call to walk me through this process. I would be pretty much on my own, unless if I had obviously someone else in their life to help me. But largely I'm on my own. And that thought really, really overwhelmed me. And I was like, nobody talks about this side of van life. Um, Like we mentioned earlier, you know, it's just beautiful pictures on the beach, beautiful pictures of the forest. It's not these pictures of, look at how we're keeping this van livable. It's all of these wires wires, and all of these machineries that nobody talks about or nobody's really willing to teach you from the onset. So you're going to have to learn it yourself and be able to understand how everything works together. Um, yeah, that moment was really eye-opening. <laughs> yeah, and in, in, in a way, it was like you, somebody rented you an airplane, and in the midair, you realized you didn't know how to fly. <laughs> exactly. You know, thankfully, you were on the ground. <laughs> now, w- one interesting thing, though, is your perspective of coming from this, from the tiny house movement. Mm-hmm. You're kind of seeing the, you know, the Vogue magazine version of van life where, you know, Instagram, people don't post too many posts about, here's how to fix your backed-up sewage problems. Yeah. On Instagram. That's just not what goes on there. It's mostly, oh, I found the perfect camping spot or mm-hmm. look, I'm making s'mores with my toes or, or whatever they're doing. Yet YouTube, 
If you search van life on YouTube, you will encounter 900,000 videos about how to poop in your van. <laughs> it's That yeah. is where, and, and honestly, if you talk to a lot of folks who jumped into this and bought a van and built it out, they taught themselves on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So part of this is different windows into the life. Um, if you've discovered it through YouTube, you probably saw build-out videos first. Mm-hmm. You know, where people, here's my empty van, and then mm-hmm. here's a time-lapse of me building out the van. So, so that's just an interesting perspective thing. I struggle with Instagram. I don't know. It's, maybe it's just because of my age. I don't understand how to communicate well on Instagram, and it frustrates me to no end that I can't post from my computer. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, you can't. That's a whole separate thing. (laughs) I think you have actually done a valuable service here because you not only looked through that window, you reported back to others looking through that window. Yeah. And they're not the ones who attacked you. It was the <laughs> YouTube people who attacked you. <laughs> yeah. I was, what I find really interesting is, you know, from an outsider looking in, like the majority of the population is, the thing we are most worried about with living in a van or living in a tiny house is the space. So you're distracted yeah. by that problem. You're like, will I be able to fit in this van? Will I be able to live in this van? Will I be able to live, work, and just move around in such a small space. So you're kind of distracted by that, and you think, oh, that's the reality. That's the biggest problem that these people are facing. But then when I was in it, the most surprising thing was that was the easiest thing to adapt to for me. The space was a little overwhelming at first. I was like, oh, there is not much room to move around in. But Mm -hmm. then after, like, I would say an afternoon, you just work out a certain choreography to how to move about and how to downsize your life in a certain way. It's actually the problems beyond the space issue that is actually most surprising and probably the most challenging to get past. When I report on van life or the tiny house for Insider, a lot of the stories are focused on, hey, look how small this space is, or look how this family of five live in this camper van or live in this tiny house. Because it's always focused on the size of these things. And it's always ignoring what the actual reality is once you get past that size. And I think that's what this story that I wrote was so important because it also, it pushed beyond the issues of space and it talked about the other issues or the realities that families are facing on the day-to-day. Because the day-to-day, you're not dealing with that space issue, the other portions of it. Like, where am I going to the bathroom today? Where am I parking this van today? Those are the big issues. You're not worried about how am I going to walk from this end of the van to the other end of the van. Like, that's not a day-to-day issue. No, and and those things get solved, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're you're living in a van and there's, like, a cabinet that sticks out and you're constantly banging into it, you'll move it, you Mm -hmm. know? The space ends up, for any almost any van build, the space ends up being incredibly efficient. Yeah. And, and in some ways, that's comfortable. Mm-hmm. Now, some people will never just get, will never get used to being in that small of a space, and that's totally fine. But some other folks like me find it comforting. Like, everything's within arm's reach in my van. Yeah. I, I can reach everything without having to move, and, and you know, I, I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. There's an interesting dichotomy here between van life and RV life. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in tiny house life, too. Why is that a tiny house and not an RV? A lot of that is perception, and it's also, from my observation, it's the kind of people that are drawn to both. 
So what I see is that RV folks want to take their house and put wheels on it. And tiny house folks and to some extent van life folks want to just focus on the essentials and not have their home distract them from living, if that makes any Mm -hmm. sense. Definitely. Yeah, I think it's an interesting dichotomy here because it's a lot about labeling as well. So, you know, I spoke to Zach Giffen, the host of Tiny House Nation, who's at the forefront of getting traditional tiny houses on wheels legalized. And he mentioned that mainstream media should not be calling camper vans or RVs tiny houses. They're totally separate things. They're a totally separate movement. We want to legalize tiny houses on wheels. We have to separate ourselves from RVs and camper vans. Hmm. You know, at the beginning when I was mentioning that I cover RVs and camper vans under the tiny house umbrella, I know that there are people who will get angry at me for the fact that I'm calling a camper van a tiny house. And going back to your question, I know that there are people who think RVs and camper vans are pretty similar. They're both recreational vehicles. And I know that there are people who say, oh, they're completely different. Yes. They're both completely different vehicles, completely different lifestyles. I think they're all types of tiny houses. I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. But I think that there is a difference between a camper van and an RV. I think the main difference is the type of lifestyle. I think RVs are a bit more luxurious. And and I think that camper vans lean less on the luxury and less on the amenities. I think the more amenities you put in a camper van, the the more it leans towards an RV. I usually think of an RV as much bigger and a much easier to live in. Yes. And a camper van is usually just a smaller van that is constructed to be a livable home. And also, you know, RVs, in my opinion, I'm probably just explaining everything that you already know, but, you know, RVs were built to be lived in. And then a camper van was originally a van not made to be lived in, but then people made it livable. And I think that's a very important distinction that these RVs are easier to live in because they were literally built for that. And then these camper vans are kind of makeshift in that you're turning something that's not meant to be livable into a livable house. Right. And and there's two sides to that coin. If, if you are a skilled craftsman, you'll build out your own van because you can do it better than the RV manufacturers do. But that's the minority. Most folks, they're like me. They don't have any professional experience in building out anything like this, but they do it and they make it comfortable for themselves. But they're not really trying to make an RV. If we're going to separate these into three things, we'll say there's tiny houses, there's camper vans, and there's RVs. Mm -hmm. Tiny houses move, but not very often. You know, they might stay in the same place for a year or two or ten, or maybe they move every six months. But they are designed Mm -hmm. to be homes that can be moved. Camper vans are vehicles, primarily. They are designed to move, but we make it so we can live in them. And the people in van life that I am familiar with mostly are folks who do not want to stay in a campground. Mm-hmm. That isn't what they're doing. They don't want to be, in, and you did stay in a campground, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For and two nights, yeah. For two nights. And mm-hmm. un- unfortunately, you, you were comparing that to Cracker Barrel, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
The people who do van life, mm-hmm. let's say, are, are trying to mostly doing boondocking. Yeah. The van is designed to be self-sufficient, mm-hmm. where you're not plugged into anything and all that. And then the RV folks, which is a community that I have been part of. I've owned five RVs, and I was an RV tech, and so that's a community I'm very familiar with. They are somewhat social in their goals in that they like campgrounds. Yeah. They like going to a big, fancy campground, being closer to their neighbors, plugging in, you know, and having all their household comforts, as you said, luxuries available, and watching the different groups interact is interesting because if you go on Facebook, say, where you have groups, mm-hmm. there are van groups and there are RV groups and definitely. there are very few people in both. Yeah, definitely. You know, they, they, this, there's an identity associated with each of these things even though that van that you rented is very similar to a Winnebago. Mm-hmm. If somebody called that an RV, which I think I did, yeah. um, that's not wrong. <laughs> So identity is a huge part of this. And I think you might have an insight on that, that maybe those of us who are completely embedded in this life don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely feel like it's a case-by-case, person-by-person situation. I know that there are people who strictly identify as a van lifer. And they're like, I am only a van lifer and not an RVer. And then there are people I've spoken to who say, who kind of use their camper, they live in a camper van, but they use the term RV interchangeably. Um, Mm. Something that I found really interesting that you just mentioned is camper van people or van lifers love to boondock and kind of stay out on their own. And then RVers are kind of a communal community, which is really fascinating. I actually haven't heard that distinction, but... I can kind of see that happening, but I would also say that there are van lifers who do who do love that communal aspect, and I think true. those are the younger people who are doing this for a shorter amount of time. Uh, they love that social aspect of staying in campgrounds and meeting other van lifers. From what I've seen, the older van lifers who have been doing this before the van life hashtag took off, they're the ones who are loving boondocking and loving being out on their own. And I think Mm -hmm. it's important to notice also that a lot is changing out on the road right now, especially after the pandemic. Um, I've spoken to RVers and van lifers last year that said, you know, they have their go-to boondocking spots and they've been going there for years. And then after 2020, 2020 hit and the pandemic hit, it's impossible to park at those sites either because it's so packed and there's so many people at these boondocking sites or because they're actually closed down now because people have right. trashed those boondocking sites. That's actually important. And, and just if I can interrupt here, just yeah. a sec, there was just a news announcement that one of the most popular BLM parking sites near Reno, mm-hmm. the site was it's free parking for anybody for two weeks, and it was very nice because it was very close to amenities, shut yeah. down indefinitely because people trashed it. Yeah. That is a huge problem. Yeah, so... I've been seeing that trend happening a lot over the pandemic because this lifestyle is really taking off. And I think that it's really shaping the movement in a new way. So I think that you're 100% right in saying that there are, that van lifers typically are living off the, off the grid, living on their own, loving boondocking life. 
But now I think it's kind of changing right under your noses, under our noses. It's happening right now that there's this new group of van lifers that are loving this communal lifestyle and are just taking over campgrounds, taking over boondocking sites, taking over the Walmart parking lots. So I think yeah. I think this new group of van lifers that really came about in 2020 is just going to change the demographics, change the way van life, it, van life is for the foreseeable future. I think you're right. And, and there are other podcasts that are more in that world, like mm-hmm. uh, a very popular van life podcast is called My Solo Road. Mm-hmm. Host's name is Sydney. She's been living in her van for years, and she talks frequently about the van life community where sometimes she'll be out in the woods by herself, but other times, you know, she has her buds and she hooks up with them and there, you know, there's like six vans parked in the same place for three months. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely a thing that's happening. And there's also the older folks who fall into this mm-hmm. with what we saw depicted in the movie Nomadland. Mm-hmm. And we are going to talk about Nomadland. So just a warning, if you haven't seen the movie yet, uh, there will be spoilers in this episode. I'll warn you beforehand. We're going to save that for the end. <laughs> but we are going to talk about Nomadland, which is a movie about older people in a quasi van life community. Mm-hmm. We'll just put it like that. Definitely. We're in for some interesting times here as the RV, the RV movement. I don't, I don't think you can call that a movement because it's always been here. Yeah. Um, people have been RVing for over 100 years in the U.S., mm-hmm. RVs right now, the demand on RVs is enormous. Um, All of the RV stocks are way up. All of their orders are way behind. Prices are way up. So there are going to be a lot more RVs on the road next year. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be a lot more vans on the road, too. One of the things we're constantly talking about is how hard it is to get a van right now. I think that that was the subject of my last podcast, actually. Where are the vans? And... Mm-hmm. The tiny house folks have their own issues where communities are starting to crack down on them and say, well, that's not a real house. Mm-hmm. And I've been seeing that too, and I'm not terribly involved with that community, but I've been watching and seeing that these poor folks, they build this beautiful thing and they think they have a place to park, and then there's some new statute in place just against them. Exactly. Yeah. So so tell me, Frank, when are you going to buy your van and build it out? <laughs> Uh, Well, first I have to save up some money, and then I have to do a lot of research on how to even (laughs) go about it. It's funny because I was just, I just published a story about a couple actually in Sweden who started building out their van during the pandemic, and it was one of the worst experiences they've ever did together. Um, It's a very funny story because they were just like, it took us sometimes weeks just to build a drawer. That's how hard it was. They're like, every time yes. we built this drawer, it wouldn't fit. So we have to take it apart and then put it together again. And we just couldn't figure it out. And then they were like, it took us months, months just to insulate the van. They're like, we thought it would take a few days. It took us months. And they're like, you just don't understand how difficult it is to build out a van until you start doing it. And that's also another part that people don't really talk about. And they were also saying that they thought much because they were a couple and they fought pretty much every step of the way and it put a real strain on their relationship they very quickly learned that they can't work in the van together at the same time or they just start yelling at each other um Uh. so i think it's not as easy as just being like when are you going to start building a van it's like i think you really have to learn how to do this because they were also mentioning that they just watched a bunch of youtube videos and of course Mm -hmm. there's so many youtube videos out there they oh, were yeah. saying Contradictory exactly ones. they were saying you have to yeah. decide what is right and what is wrong or what is easier to do and what is the harder path to take so it's not as simple as just you know choosing yourself how to do it it's also sifting through all of the information that is out there yeah. and teaching yourself how to do it 
But I was also saying when I was interviewing them and talking with them, they're actually at an extreme advantage because now that they built their van, they know the ins and outs of their van. They understand how all the systems right. work together. So when something does happen down the road, they know how to fix it because they built it. And I'm thinking about all those people who are paying tens of thousands of dollars to builders to build out their van for them. They're actually selling themselves short in the long run. They didn't build this van themselves. They don't know the systems. They're going to be a lot like me when I was in the camper van and having to call somebody to teach them how to work the system that just failed. Yep. Eventually, maybe one day, I'll try and teach myself how to build out a van and learn it because I think it's a very valuable and amazing lifestyle. But I think right now, after that experience, I still need some time to <laughs> decompress and be like, oh, I needed some space from the van life. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. I built out my van. Again, I have RV experience. I understand the basics of the sim- systems, but I've never done anything like that before. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to do it. It took me a couple months. I did it. I love my van. I think I did a really good job that for it to meet the needs that I have. And that experience has been transformative because I now I gained confidence from that that I can make myself comfortable anywhere. I am much less reliant on other people for things. Like, for example, we bought a, you know, I I do live in a condo. For anyone thinking I'm a full-timer, I am not. I'm absolutely not. I live in a condo, and I part-time in the van. We just bought a new stove for the condo. Well, I'm going to install the stove. I have no worries at all about that. That isn't the least bit frightening to me. I know exactly how to do it, (laughs) mostly from building out the van. Mm Whereas before, I would have been, oh, i got to hire somebody, and with COVID and all this. And I, for me, and I can only speak for myself, it has given me this really wonderful sense of confidence and self-reliance that I just can kind of carry with me wherever I go. Definitely. And, uh, and I, I, my goal with the podcast and YouTube and all that is to kind of help other people get to that point, too. And you have provided a huge, valuable service for the folks mm-hmm. who are intrigued by the half-naked people hanging out the back of their van (laughs) who think they can just buy a van and they're in van life. So I'm very happy we've had the chance to have this conversation because I don't think you were treated fairly, but hey, it's the internet and that's how things go. And I really would like to turn the conversation around to say, look, this article that Frank did is actually super valuable (laughs) and we should pay attention to it. Yeah, I think what I wanted people to get out of my experience, I feel like a lot of people thought I was trying to devalue or deter people from that life. Yes. And yeah. that's truly not what the, the point of it was for me. It was, hey, everybody is looking at this dreamy lifestyle because it looks dreamy from the outside. But if you want to actually join this movement, it's a lot harder than it looks. There are a lot of obstacles and there's a chance you're going to hate it. (laughs) There's a chance that you're not going to be able to get past that beginning learning curve. There's a chance that you're just going to bail and that's fine. But there's also a chance that you're going to get past that learning curve and love it and love every aspect of it. But I feel like people need to be aware of that beginning stage and how difficult it will be. I also want people to know that, you know, before you join this movement, you shouldn't just do no research and then put tens of thousands of dollars into a van and then get out on the road. You know, you should really do what I did and rent a van, rent an RV for a weekend, a week, or maybe even a couple of weeks, just to see 
what it's actually like out on the road and see what are the pros and what are the cons and see if the pros actually outweigh the cons for you. It's also important, even if you feel like you had a great experience in your RV or camper van that you rented and you want to move forward, that's still a great experience you have because, you know, staying in a camper van for even a weekend teaches you a lot about what you want in your camper van. Say you realize your the rent the van you rented has a bathroom and you realize you actually don't need a bathroom. Right. Or you realize, oh wait, I actually need a bathroom. Yeah. So I can't stress enough how important it is to actually try this lifestyle out before you actually invest a lot of money into it and then realize it's not for you. There are some realities that major media outlets and social media itself aren't showing and just show that there are ways to experience this movement yourself without investing all of your time and money into it and then wasting it all. And, And please, folks, if you're listening to this and you're enamored with van life, do not take out a huge loan and just go buy a van and find yourself on the road with a huge van loan and maybe you have made it such that your van doesn't work anymore. I know that, that that's a sadly common story. So we'll, we'll talk about that more in another episode. But, uh, but yeah, Frank's got good advice there. And, and, and it's advice I've given, too. If you can, rent a van first. Get out there. Try it out. See if it's for you. And I would recommend that rent a van that is less complex than the one that Frank ended up with. You know, maybe something that has... Mentioning the media is interesting because the media refers to van life kind of in two ways. One is, oh, look at this glamorous lifestyle of all these young counterculture people. Mm-hmm. And then there is, look at all these homeless people just making a mess everywhere and destroying our communities. And, oh, these million-dollar homes, all they do is they look out and they can't see the beach anymore because there's all these beat-up vans in the way. Those are the only two times, the only two ways I see van life mm-hmm. when, I'm, when I'm watching the media. And then comes Nomadland. Yeah. So, folks, this is the point at which you may leave the podcast, you have my permission, if you do not want spoilers for Nomadland. But I recommend that you kind of pause here, watch Nomadland, come back, and then listen to the rest of this. So, Nomadland, I saw it, you saw it. Um, yeah. Folks who haven't seen the movie understand that the movie is not about van life. It is about a subsection of van life dealing specifically with older folks who are living in their vans and traveling from workplace to workplace. Nomadland is a very controversial movie. It has caused all kinds of problems uh, in the community. Well, not problems, but at least strife. And it's because people don't understand that. Also, the book and the movie are different. The book is nonfiction. If you are looking for a great introduction to living in vans in a nonfiction format told in a very real way, the book is a great place to go. And the movie is fictional, just to be clear. All that out of the way, Frank, what did you think of the movie? Well, from a strictly film standpoint first, um, mm-hmm. I found it definitely a beautiful film. It really showed one woman's side of the movement that isn't often talked about. You know, yeah. an older woman who is dealing with a lot of emotional issues and how she puts all of her emotion into this lifestyle. So I think that story was beautiful. I do think the movie itself lacks a certain type of plot. It if there was, was one, just, right. Exactly. It was yeah. just a series of beautiful shots, some small conversations, and a lot of montages. Yep. Uh, so I think at certain points it just seems 
kind of boring. If I, yep, very for common. For lack of a better word. Yep. I think that might have been on purpose mm-hmm. because a large portion of the film is a lot like the story I wrote in that it shows the unglamorous side of yes. living on the road, living it in a does. vehicle. It shows her going to the bathroom in the middle of the van. It shows her washing in a campground sink. It yep. shows her doing these unglamorous things that nobody wants to see on social media, that nobody talks about about van life. In reality, van life isn't as exciting as it looks like on social media. Like we mentioned, you're not at these beautiful beaches every day. You're not doing these adventurous things. Of course, there's a big portion of it, and of course you will be doing that, but Mm -hmm. that's not every second of every day. And there are some boring, monotonous parts of van life. And I think maybe that's why the movie was very slow and very lazy in that it wanted to make you feel like you're actually living in this van. This is what a day-to-day life is like because it is very slow. You are moving location to location, but it's not as exciting as you think it is. Another thing I found fascinating is that it showed, I think you mentioned this, the older generation because, you know, like you said, major media outlets and especially obviously social media highlights the younger people going into this movement, quitting their jobs and just going full time on the road. But there's another portion, another sector of van life with older people who are doing this full time. I think it's very important to tell those stories that, hey, there are these people out there who are older and living this lifestyle. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is actually when they're around the campfire and it's just a series of people are doing this, why they're living like this. And some people are like, oh, a family member died and it inspired me, or I just want to see parts of the country. And they all have different reasons. And it was a really eye-opening moment for me because obviously I speak to a lot of people in my job about why they joined the movement or why they decided to minimalize their life. Mm-hmm. It just shows that everybody is in this for different reasons. It shows that there's a diversity to the movement, yes. that it's not just young people who don't want to work anymore. It's people who are trying to find themselves. It's people who are emotionally or just physically lost in life. So I think as just a strict movie, it was kind of boring and hard to watch. Yep. But then from a van life point of view, it showed a side of the movement that many people don't talk about. Very true, and and I think that's hugely valuable, and that's why I'm very careful. I've had a lot of conversations about the movie recently, but I'm very careful. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not a van life movie. This is specifically about one small and yet important segment. There were named actors in the film, obviously. Uh, you know, Fern and and David were mm-hmm. people that we've recognized. But did you know that everybody else wasn't acting? Yes. So I didn't know that beforehand. That most people were. Yeah. I mean, not only weren't they not, the, the, their stories were true. That they're I mean, real people. They're real yeah. people, and the stories they were telling were true. Like, Bob Wells is a real guy. I think they made him look kind of culty in, in the film. He's not quite that culty. But, mm-hmm. but he's a real guy. The Rubber Tramp Rendezvous is a real thing. Swanky, the character who dies in the film, mm-hmm. did not actually die. That was created. Swanky's still out there. She has her own YouTube channel. Many of us run into her. <laughs> To me, the movie can't stand alone well without the book. Mm-hmm. The book is nonfiction. It's, it's a piece like you might do as a reporter. Mm-hmm. The author embedded herself with the nomad community for a couple of years and wrote what she saw. That's what the book's about. Mm-hmm. 
the movie takes that and fictionalizes it and gives us Fern as a fictional character so we can insert ourselves and see the movement from the inside. Do you remember the scene with the dog? Where she finds the dog and turns it into the manager and then looks at the dog on the way out and you think she's going to take the dog. Part of the lifestyle, so I thought that was what's going to happen, but then it didn't and it was surprising. And, and to me, that's kind of the linchpin of the movie, that scene. And and what the reaction I've seen is at that point, half the audience hated her. <laughs> she left the dog. And then the whole movie didn't resonate with them because they're just like, she's that person who left the dog. Mm-hmm. I saw that as she's making a decision. She's making a choice because she hesitates. Yeah. She looks at the dog and you can see she's making a decision. And the decision she makes is... I have to be responsible for just myself right now. And at every point throughout the rest of the film, whenever she makes a decision, that's the decision she makes. And I found that kind of inspiring. Uh, She's invited to go live in homes many times through the film. Mm -hmm. She always says no. I did not look at that moment as she's a bad person. Mm -hmm. I view that moment as there's something deeper here. And so the way I interpret it, it's a little bit like what you were just saying. Um, So her husband died, and that's her main reason why she's traveling. She didn't want to live in the home. She got kicked out of her home because the town shut down. So she's kind of just lost without her husband. Like you said, she just wants to be responsible for herself. And I think the big problem here is that she can't let anyone in, and I think that's her biggest issue. She can't let anyone in because she's very closed off. She's very, she doesn't know what to do with herself without her husband around. Um, and she doesn't want anyone into her life. And when she left the dog, that was the perfect symbol for her being like, oh, I just simply cannot let anyone or anything into my life, in my life right now because I have to focus on myself. Yep. They even introduced kind of this male lead, this male love interest. And she mm-hmm. kind of does it again where she's like, oh, you can come into my life, change my life and help a lot of the issues that I'm facing. However, I'm turning away from it. I'm not accepting it. And she does that to the dog. She does that to the male love interest. She does it to her sister at one point. Yep. She's just like, I need to be by myself. I can't let anybody in. And I just need to be on the road by myself. So I think those decisions that she makes doesn't necessarily make her a bad person. It makes her a complicated person that, you know, there are bigger issues here than just her being sad. Um, her husband's death obviously affected her in profound ways that is just that's putting limits to the way she's experienced being a human being. A question I want to ask you here, which I've struggled with with the uh, movie, did you see her experience in van life as a positive or a negative one? I didn't understand what the director was trying to say. Was, was van life holding her back? Ah from moving beyond her husband's death or was it helping her to understand his death in a more profound way or come to terms with it i feel like it was conflicting in what the message was was is van life the way mm-hmm. people find answers to what they need or is it a way for people to run away from their problems and i don't what did you feel i watched the movie read the book and watched the movie again when I first time I watched the movie, I had a whole lot of questions. And then when I read the book, I realized that that tone, that tone of complexity and unresolved, is this good or bad, yeah. is in the book. That comes from the book. 
And that's the most true thing about the movie. Is is the nomad movement good? Is it good that these older people are moving into vans? And mm-hmm. it's not. It's it's individual. Some of them are forced into this and absolutely hate it and would want to move back into a house immediately. Others, like Fern, I see it as the very end of the movie, Fern's story is just beginning mm-hmm. because there are bookends. At the beginning of the movie, it's in Empire, Nevada, and she's going through her things in the storage unit, finds her husband's coat and hugs the coat and all that, takes just a few things from her old life to hold on to, the plates, heads out, has this journey of transformation as she learns about living in a van from Bob Wells and from Linda May and all those folks, has opportunities to get off the road, to go move into a house, to have a new love interest, to start life over, but at the very end, goes back to Empire, gives away everything that's in her storage unit, and literally drives off into the sunset. <laughs> and I, I am choosing right now to feel inspired by that. Mm-hmm. I see it as she was thrust into this situation, and now she's choosing it because she's made it her own. Now, we don't know what's going to happen next. Her van might break down, and she dies and gets eaten by vultures. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> but... That's where I'm at with it now. Yeah. Like Van Life, the film is very individualistic. That's my experience of it. I am absolutely not offended by, nor do I think anyone is wrong by claiming that it's a dark, depressing, boring movie. Mm-hmm. Because I've heard that a lot. And uh, from Hollywood standards, it's certainly slow. By That's the kindest way you could put it. <laughs> There's no action. Is there yeah. any action at all? I can't think of any action. There, yeah, there's no action. There's not much of a plot. Um, it's a very loose, loose plot. <laughs> when I said, is the movie saying Van Life is good or bad? Hmm? I think my question less is, is Van Life good or bad? More so, is it good or bad for her? Yeah. Because, yes, she is choosing to do this. She's doing this voluntarily. And, of course, there are people out there who are doing this involuntarily and right. are just basically homeless living in their van. Yep. The debate here is, is she doing this voluntarily because she wants to and wants to explore and learn from her husband's death and learn from other people? (laughs) Or she thinks she's doing this voluntarily because she can't deal with the issues that she's facing in life. She's running away from them. And there's probably is no right answer here. Um, But I think it's a very important conversation yeah and i think that's that's kind of the point and knowing the direct yeah. knowing the director i don't know the director knowing of the <laughs> director's work mm-hmm. and francis mcdormand talking about the, the movie i'm sure there's nothing not intentional <laughs> if they had mm-hmm. wanted to exactly. give us resolution they would have so i have some level of respect for that mm-hmm. i am surprised to see it up for an oscar and i think this year we should just not have the oscars because it was such a bizarre <laughs> year in in film but yeah. what, whatever I mean, I mean, it did win the did. best picture at the Golden it Globes, did. so it's a chance that it will may. I would say it's in the top two or three for the. It Oscars, really is. So yeah, we'll we will. <laughs> yeah. Well, Frank, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for reaching out to me, and yeah. and let's stay Thank in you. touch because. It sounds like you're on a journey, and I'm excited to learn more about where you end up with this. And uh, I will continue to learn from you because your perspective is different from mine, and that only helps me. And then hopefully that will help me to help others. So yeah, let's definitely keep the conversation going. I'm sure there'll be more stories about my experience in the future. So yeah, let's definitely keep in touch. Thank you, Frank. 
everything that's been mentioned during this discussion, websites, Frank's articles, everything you'd want to see are in the show notes, and you can get those at builttogo.com. You'll see the episode sitting right there. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And until next time, remember what S. Leonard Rubinstein said. Curiosity is a willing, a proud, an eager confession of ignorance. <laughs>